the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Points higher. This is SRN News, W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. the soul of Jonathan tied itself or bound itself to the soul of David. Jonathan had finally found a soulmate. He had finally found someone whose heart beat with his. That's what this means. He had finally met someone who he could really relate to spiritually and their souls and hearts were knit together. That's to say that Jonathan was so impressed with David that his soul clung to David's. He had finally found someone who he could relate to. Jackie Robinson, as the first black man to play Major League Baseball, endured a lot of abuse from the fans. Once in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he committed an error and the fans were really jeering him. Shortstop Pee Wee Reese came over, put his arm around Jackie and looked at the hostile crowd. The crowd soon fell quiet. Robinson later said that that arm around his shoulder saved his career. To say that having a real friend is important would be a major understatement. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will share some of the essentials of true friendship as we continue our study of the life of David. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving there since 1981. At Verse by Verse Ministries, we are delighted to adapt his practical messages to radio format. There are friends, and then there are friends. Most of us, especially most of us men, have plenty of people in our lives that we call friends. But very few of us have friends like David and his soulmate, Jonathan. Let's go to 1 Samuel 18 and learn what a great thing it is to have a close friend. Several years ago, someone placed a rather unusual advertisement in a Kansas newspaper that read this way. I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without a comment for $5. I'll listen to you talk for 30 minutes without a comment for $5. And you might wonder, who would respond to a silly ad like that. Well, before long, 10 to 20 calls a day were coming in. Now, we might ask ourselves, why would anybody, uh, why, why would anybody do this, pay $5, $5 just to speak to somebody they didn't know nonstop for 30 minutes? And I'll tell you the, the reason, the answer is because most people are very lonely. Very, very lonely, so lonely that they're willing to try anything just to experience one half hour of companionship. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, Killing Giants and Pulling Thorns, says this about loneliness. It is the most desolate word in all human language. 
It is capable of hurling the heaviest weights the heart can endure. It, it plays no favorites, ignores all rules of courtesy, knows neither border nor barrier, yields no mercy, refuses all bargains, and holds the clock in utter contempt. It cannot be bribed. It will not be left behind. Crowds only make it worse. Activity simply drives it deeper, silent and destructive as a flooding river in the night. It leaves its slimy banks, seeps into our dwelling, and rises to a crest of despair. Tears fall from our eyes as groans fall from our lips. But loneliness, that uninvited guest of the soul, arrives at dusk and stays for dinner. You have not known, he writes, the bottom rung of melancholy until loneliness pays you a lengthy visit. Which brings us to our study of the life of King David, because little did David realize it, but after slaying Goliath, loneliness was about to pay him a lengthy visit. Remember in our last study that David, with his great faith in God, uh, really took on Goliath and, uh, and slew him. David killed the giants. And after that, David became a very popular figure in Israel. He became a national hero. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 18. That's really where we left off. And I want you to see that after David killed Goliath, he became a national hero. He, uh, he really had the esteem of the people. It says in chapter 18, Verses 6 and 7, and it happened as they were coming, that is the people when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David was esteemed higher than Saul and that was good for David in terms of national popularity. But from this point on, Saul became very jealous of David, became suspicious of David. And in verses 8 and 9, we read, Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. It was from that day on that Saul looked at him and said, I think he's the man who Samuel said is going to take my place. He's the next king, isn't he? What more can he have but the kingdom? He's got the esteem of the people. He's a national hero, and I'm in the background. And so Paul, uh, Saul's jealousy and suspicion and anger was from that day on. And really, he sought to destroy David. He tried to kill him, and, and David had to run from Saul and had to hide in caves and other places around Israel. In other words, David became an outcast. He became a lonely man. He became a man on the run, a fugitive. But, and, and here's the point of chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, which we're going to study this morning. But before this period of loneliness and isolation set in, God in his mercy gave David the cure to the pain of loneliness. You know what it is? It's a friend. He gave him a real friend. He gave him a friendship with Saul's son, who was named Jonathan. And I'd like you to read about David's friend and his friendship with Jonathan in chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. Now it came about when he had finished, meaning David, speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David 
and Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with, with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. You know, it's very easy, I think, to uh, pass over these verses. You know why? Because right after this, it gets really interesting. It gets, it gets some action here, some, uh, some excitement. What's ahead of us is, uh, is the passage of Scripture in which Saul in his anger and fury hurls a, a spear at David. It misses David. David dodges it. He runs from Saul. He runs out of the house. He escapes. He goes to his home. Saul sends some messengers there to capture David, but David escapes from them. And from that point on, he's a fugitive. And that's very exciting. It's an, it's an action-packed portion of the life of David. And so it's easy to overlook these verses and say, well, let's get on to something that's really adventuresome. But the story of David's friendship and with Jonathan is, uh, is extremely relevant to us, very, very pertinent, very applicable for us, because it really speaks, I think, to our generation. Why do I say that? Because most of us really don't know what it is to have a meaningful friendship with anybody else, especially men. Women ha- are, are, seem to, to share a little bit more and uh, be more open, and, and women tend to have friendships uh, more easily than men. But most men do not. Oh, they have plenty of acquaintances. They know a lot of people, but not a friendship like this. The average uh, American male lacks deep friendships with other men. It is estimated that only 10% of all men ever have any real friends. There was a decade-long study done that I I read about recently uh, concerning men and women, and this was the conclusion about friendship. They said this, To say that men have no uh, intimate friends seems on the surface too harsh. But the data indicates that it is not far from the truth. Even the most intimate of friendships, of which there are few, rarely approach the depth of disclosure Uh, a woman commonly has with many other women. Men do not value friendships. That's really amazing. In fact, Proverbs chapter 18 uh, addresses this. Proverbs 18 says a verse that I I think uh, many of us are familiar with, but we really don't understand what it means. In Proverbs 18, Solomon, who, by the way, had to know quite a bit about David's friendship with Jonathan. David was his father, and he must have told him a bit uh, about that wonderful relationship. Proverbs 18.24 says this, a man of many friends comes to ruin. Isn't that interesting? A man who has many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, what does this mean? I think this describes the man who has many acquaintances, many surface relationships, many superficial relationships, and in his time of need, in his time of desperation, he realizes that he can't depend upon any of them because they're shallow, they're superficial. And, and, and he comes to ruin in the sense that he shakes and trembles and, and crashes to, uh, to pieces. But there is a friendship that God wants us to have of a, of a true friend who sticks closer to you than even a brother. 
That's what this verse is about. It, it is denouncing superficial acquaintances, superficial friendships, and saying that God's will is for us to, to be a friend, to have a friend that has depth and, uh, and real, real meaning. You see, in our culture, uh, men, and women for that matter, may not value friendship and you may have no real close friends. I mean, you, you may have a lot of people you know in this church. Uh, you may greet a lot of people. But really, you are probably very lonely, if you were to be totally honest. And uh, the culture, though, is like that. But we have to say this up front. The culture is wrong. Our culture, when it comes to friendship, is wrong. And if we're really to be biblical, we have to go against our culture. Because the Bible has a lot to say, not only about having friends, but about being the kind of uh, friend that others should have, the kind of friendship. For example, let, let me just give you a, a brief summary of some of the passages that speak about friendship. Jesus had a friendship with 12 apostles. In fact, in John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. Because I've shared with you. That's what friendship does. I've shared with you. I've told you what the Father revealed to me. Jesus had a close friendship with the 12 apostles. And as you study the life of Christ, you realize that he was, there were inner circles. As you got closer and closer to him, there were other friends. There were closer friends. For example, John and Peter and James were in that inner circle of uh, spending more time with Christ. He had a closeness with them they didn't even have with the others, though they were all friends. In John chapter 11, also, Jesus referred to Lazarus as our friend. He said, our friend is sleeping. Let's go and, and see. In the Old Testament, God called Abraham, remember this, his friend. God called Abraham his friend. And there have been great men of God down through the years in the Bible that had close friendships. Uh, Moses, for example, had Aaron and had Joshua. Daniel had his three friends. Remember the three friends who came with him from Israel to Babylon? And not only this, the Bible says that we were created for friendship. We were created for friendship. And I might add that in the New Testament, Paul had his Timothy and Titus and Silas and, and others and Luke. But we were created to, uh, to be friends with others. In Genesis 2.18, and I realize this is in the context of a husband and wife relationship and, and they should be best of friends, but it also reveals that God created us for companionship because it's, cause God said, it is not good for man to dwell alone. It's not good for us to be alone. We are created not only to have a relationship with God, but to have a true relationship and true uh, friendship and fellowship with others. God made us for relationships. God made us for, for, for friendship and fellowship. In the New Testament, God calls us to have uh, friends and relationships with other believers. Uh, and, and this is called fellowship. It's called true fellowship. And unless we know how to build a meaningful friendship, we're going to miss out on something wonderful that God wants us to have, that koinonia friendship. That's why we're to comfort one another, love one another. We are to uh, reprove one another, to, to care that much about others, to reprove them. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to hold one another accountable. Someone is called loneliness the most um, significant problem of this century. And I think that's true. Most of us are lonely. Most of us really long to have in-depth friendship. Wouldn't you like to have that? Wouldn't you like to, to know that, that more than surface, more than superficial, uh, more than a friendship that uh, is just passing, that you really have an in-depth friendship with someone? 
As I said, most of us, if we're honest, are extremely lonely. Many acquaintances, but few, if any, friends. Well, you know what? The Bible teaches us that you can have friendship, and you can be that kind of a friend. And you don't have to have just shallow, uh, superficial uh, relationships. This morning, we want to study the friendship of David and Jonathan. And from their friendship, we want to see what is the essentials of a friendship that, that uh, we should have. In other words, what, what is the foundation of a true and meaningful friendship? As, as this passage unfolds for us, I see three key essentials to a meaningful friendship. All friendships have these ingredients or essentials. Number one, the first essential of a meaningful friendship is a common heart. A common heart. Now let's see what the text says. Verse 1 begins this way. And it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul. Now let's stop there. If you just read this and, and removed it from its context, you wouldn't really have a clue as to what he's talking about. He, meaning David, was having a conversation with Saul. That is, after David killed the giant, after he killed Goliath, he had a conversation with Saul. And what is this conversation? You go back to chapter 17, and the conversation is this. Saul wanted to know the background of this young man. Let's look at verse 55. Now, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O king, I don't know. And the king said, you inquire whose son the youth is. And so when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand and said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, in all fairness, and, I, and the reason that I'm bringing this out is because I want you to understand something. There have been critics of the Bible down through the years who refer to these verses as, in, in their words, proof that the Bible is, uh, is filled with contradictions. And their reasoning is this. They say that Saul had to know who David was. He was his musician. Saul's already been through this. He knows who David, uh, David is. So why is he asking uh, these questions, why is he finding out who he is? And so they say, see, the Bible is, uh, is contradictory. Well, how do we answer this? And I say this so you, your, fa your faith would be strengthened. Well, the answer is really not that difficult. The answer is that Saul wasn't inquiring about David. He didn't say, who are you? He said, who's your father? He wanted to know who the young man's father was. Now, why would he want to know who his father was? Because Saul had promised, in chapter 17 we, we read this, Saul had promised that anyone who kills the giant would not only marry his daughter, but his father's uh, family would be tax-free. He'd have to pay no more taxes. So what he's saying to David is, who is your father that I could uh, free him from paying taxes? That's, that's all there is to it. He had to know who his family was, and uh, he didn't. He, know who, he knew who David was. But he didn't know who his, who his father was. And so that's really the answer to this. Now, we go back to chapter 18, verse 1. It was after this conversation between David and Saul about the identity of his father that something significant took place in the heart of Jonathan, Saul's son, who was listening to this conversation. It says in verse 1, Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. What a great statement. What does it mean? The Hebrew word when it says his soul was knit to the soul of, of David. What does that mean? The Hebrew word for knit 
means to tie or to bind together. In other words, the soul of Jonathan tied itself or bound itself to the soul of David. Jonathan had finally found a soulmate. He had finally found someone whose heart beat with his. That, that's what this means. He had finally met someone who, could, uh, who, who he could, uh, could really relate to spiritually, and their souls and hearts were knit together. That's to say that Jonathan was so impressed with David that his soul clung to David's. He had finally found someone who he could relate to. Now, um, we haven't studied much about Jonathan. In fact, we really haven't studied anything about Jonathan. But uh, you don't need to go back and read this now, but I would encourage you on your own to do this. In chapter 14, in fact, I'll just read verse 6 to you. In chapter 14, verse 6, we, we are given insight about Jonathan, what a wonderful man of God he was. In chapter 14, verse 6, you must know the background of this. The Philistines really dominated the, uh, uh, the Israelites at that time. The Israelites were scared, they were intimidated, and uh, they were losing a lot of battles. Saul began his, uh, his kingship winning battles, but then the tide turned, and the Philistines were winning as Saul's uh, spiritual heart became... became uh, revealed what a, what a weakling he was spiritually. So in that context, it says in verse 6, then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come, this is in the context against the Philistines, come, let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Jonathan is taking just his armor bearer and he's saying, let's attack the Philistines. And the story goes on to say that uh, he and his armor bearer actually attacked the Philistines and killed about 20 of them. And, and what Jonathan, what his heart reveals here is that Jonathan was saying, look, the Lord is great. He doesn't need an army. Perhaps he'll use us because God doesn't need people. Our strength is in the Lord. We're going to have faith in the Lord, not in armies. And, and that's what this is about. So it just gives you a flavor for Jonathan's spiritual passion. But he was really alone. I think Jonathan was a very lonely man because there was apparently nobody else in Israel who had his kind of commitment to Jehovah God. He believed that God was capable of delivering him and Israel, even if it was just by a few people, great faith. And, and uh, really, Jonathan, in light of that, in light of his passion and his zeal for the Lord, probably didn't have anybody else who really understood what he was about until... Young David came on the scene with great faith and he killed Goliath because God's honor was attacked. And, and here's really what verse 1 is, is saying. As David stood talking with Saul, probably with the head of Goliath in his hand, Jonathan knew instantly that he had finally found a friend, someone whose heart was like his. They had a common heart. The first essential of, of a meaningful friendship is a common heart, is to have your soul knit to the soul of somebody else. So what does this tell us about friendship? The only way you can have a meaningful friendship with anybody is if it's based upon a common heart. That is a common perspective of life. A common perspective of life. Friends, and I want to say this up front, friends don't need to agree on everything. You'll never find somebody you agree with on, on everything. But they do need to share a similar worldview and an approach to life. That's why, by the way, that when you get married, why a believer should only marry a believer. 
Because what do you have in common with someone who's an unbeliever? If you have a lot of things in common with someone who's an unbeliever, you're probably an unbeliever yourself, thinking that you're a Christian. C.S. Lewis said, Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. I imagine Jonathan was having those thoughts or something like that when he first encountered David. Pastor Steve Kreloff will resume this study of friendship on the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 27 years as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His messages come to your radio thanks to Verse by Verse Ministries and the faithful friends who support these daily radio Bible classes. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. We have today's program available for listening or downloading. We keep hundreds of previous classes on the archives page. If you would like to help us keep these classes on the air, a visit to versebyverseradio.org is a good place to start. Click the link near the top right corner labeled Support Us. Today's lesson was the first part of a three-part message. If you would like to listen to the whole message without announcements, you can order a CD or a cassette. Just call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a phone number, and we'll call you back during regular office hours. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will consider another essential aspect of a great friendship. It is a characteristic of the friendship between David and Jonathan that some people in our society have twisted to try to make it support their own perverted perspectives. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.